Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartledgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. series that we're going to be starting, and it's the series on Revelation. Now, there's a number of reasons I'm doing this series, is firstly, well, Joe Schimmel's been doing it for the last four to five years in his church in California, and I've been listening to all his sermons in relation to to it, and I've always been really, really impacted by the way that studying the book of Revelation, if you study it correctly, it takes you through the whole Bible. You, just, you end up going here, there, and everywhere in the Bible to really get an understanding of what Revelation is telling us. The other reason I want to do it is the Revelation, a book of Revelation is called, is the true title is the Revelation of Jesus Christ. So if we want to get a full revelation of who Jesus Christ is, we should study the book of Revelation. And that, that's another reason I want to do it. And apart from the fact that it is probably the most timely a book of the Bible that we could read at present, you know, to really bring into perspective just what's happening on this earth. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. So God gave Jesus a revelation or the revelation of Jesus. So Jesus Christ is the revelation, but it's a revelation that was given, that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So he sent a messenger to John with this revelation that was given to Jesus Christ by God and the revelation happens to be of Jesus Christ who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. There's another reason I wanted to study this book. If we study the book of Revelation, we will be blessed. It's the only book in the Bible that gives us that promise, that you'll be blessed by it. And I certainly want to be blessed by it. Amen. Let's take a look at some Greek words. The Greek word for revelation is apocalypsis. And it means to reveal. It means to uncover, to make visible. The making known of something in a remarkable way uh, that was previously secret or unknown. So we're not meant to find revelation something we can't understand. It's not meant to be this mystery. It's meant to be something that is will reveal truth to us, something that will make life clearer and and the future clearer for us. It's the symbology in Revelation is not meant to confuse us, it's meant to reveal truth to us. And it's so in that sense we can approach it knowing that if this is the case, if it's if it tells us it's going to reveal to us stuff, make known to us 
then we can approach it confidently that God, by the Holy Spirit, is going to help us to understand uh, the future event, events and we're going to understand things about Jesus Christ that we've never understood before. Amen? Because that's what it promises. Now, that word revelation or apocalypse, apocalypsis, is also used in a few other scriptures. Now, let's quickly turn there if we can. Luke 2.32. And actually, I'm just going to back up a bit, back up to 29. It says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant um, in peace. Now, this is Simeon, who was at the temple in Jerusalem, and he had prayed that he will see the Messiah before he died. And then this is his words, Sovereign Lord, you have promised, as you have promised, you've now dismissed your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, in the uh, a light for revelation, a, a light for apocalypsis to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. So Jesus is a light of apocalypsis. He's a light of revelation. So when you come to know Jesus, you have come to know the revelation of God or the apocalypsis of God. Let's go to 1 Peter 1.7. These have come... So that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, or apocalypsis. He, he, through his revealing, these have come to the faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes. And we may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor. And Jesus Christ, now this is what, we, what we're getting in the book of Revelation. We're seeing Jesus in glory. We're seeing Jesus at the second coming. We're seeing Jesus anointed and enthroned. We're seeing the beginning of the thousand years of peace, the millennium. And we're seeing even beyond that, even beyond the thousand year millennium to where God himself, God the Father's first coming to earth. Right? So we're seeing a great revelation and it's all to do with Jesus Christ. Let's go to Romans. Romans 16.25. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation, the apocalypsis of the mystery hidden for long ages past. Revelation 1.1, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show, not to hide, but to show his servants what must soon take place. Who knows there's a, a mindset among Christians today that the revelation is a mystery that you, you don't even go there because it's just like, forget it, it's out there. How can you possibly understand it? it? It seems to be the mindset. Many people get totally confused with this book. And there are many different and varied views held by Christians in relation to it. There's a, a whole range of, of different views that they hold. There's this thing called preterism, which I'm going to be doing a sermon on. Um, I don't agree with preterism in any way, shape, or form. It, this, they, they try to tell you that the entire book of Revelation was fulfilled and completed back in AD 70. So it's not a book about the future. It's, it's completed. Um, there's also another a, a historicist view, which I sort of have a partial uh, belief in, um, where the Revelation has been you know, there's parts of it have been uh, fulfilled throughout history. And I'll want, as we go along, I'll explain where I believe that view sort of fits. Um, there is a futurist view, which is more like what I would believe, that it still holds a futuristic prophecy that must be fulfilled in days to come. 
And there's also a spiritual view where they see the whole thing as spiritually an application from a spiritual perspective, but not something that we should take seriously as in uh, actual events are going to take place on the planet. Now, they all got their reasons for why they come to these conclusions. And I can, as we go along, I'm going to try to help you to see how they make these conclusions. But I just sort of tend to take Revelation to the most part. What it's saying is what it's saying. There is some symbology in it, and we have to look back to the Old Testament to understand the symbology. Uh, And then when you see what the symbology means, it actually has a clear uh, meaning. It's not a meaning that could be ten different things. It usually has a definite meaning. So it's going to be a great study, and I think it's going to help us a lot to be able to understand our Bible so much better than before as as we go through it. However, if... It was given to us to reveal truth. If, the, if Revelation was given us to reveal truth about days ahead, we would be wise to make sure that we study it systematically. We should be looking into this and breaking it open so that we can really get the most out of it. Amen? This is a book that we should fall in love with and find a passion to read and study because it is the only book in the whole Bible which promises a blessing to those who read it, as I said before. The Greek word used for read, and this is an interesting thing, it's, it, we, in our English translation, just say that it just says that it, we will be blessed if we read it. But the word read, anagonosko, which means to know certainly. So it doesn't mean just read. It, it's like, you know, it's very easy just to read the book of Revelation and go, what? <laughs> Got no idea what that means. But in the Greek, it means to know certainly. Joe Schimmel took that so seriously that he, he memorized the first 13 chapters of it to distinguish between, to divide the word, to understand it in in a very, very uh, complete way, to recognize, to know accurately, and to also to acknowledge as truth, as divine. Amen? So it's important that we really get to know the book of Revelation. I believe we become blessed by reading it in the sense that to know it accurately will cause us to read the entire Bible to comprehend its message, and this will bring to light in us many biblical truths. So that's one of the blessings. By knowing the book of Revelation in-depthly, you'll get to know your whole Bible, you'll get to know so many things about the Old Testament that you didn't see before, and because of that, you're going to be blessed because you're going to be a far more solid Christian. The Greek word that we translate to keep, because if we go back to Revelation, just turn there quickly, Revelation... Uh, 1 verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart. Or in some translations, or heed, heed it, respond to it, what is written in it, because the time is near. Now this was written back in around AD 90, and it said the time is near. So if it was near then, how near is it now? But the word keep, or to take to heart or to heed is a word called uh, terio, I think is how you pronounce it. And it is used in the sense to keep guard, to keep it, to guard it, observe it, and watch over it in the sense of in yourself. To guard what it tells you, to guard what you learn from it, guard it and protect it. Now, why, why would they tell us that in relation to end times? Because in the end times, Christians are going to be tested to a point of in many cases, to a point of death, and they're going to have to guard what they know in their heart. And the book of Revelation will help you to guard it. 
It'll help you to keep it there and not give up the faith, not say, look, I'd rather just give up Jesus and get let off. But it's going to help you to guard and protect what God has in store in the last days and what Christians are going to have to go through. And I think that's important. Therefore, we really have to study it. It's important that we know this book. There are many promises described in the book of Revelation as well as many warnings which are there to prepare us for the times ahead. And we are to read, understand, and observe these words. Amen? So the blessings come to those who are rock solid in their faith. That's what it will make you, rock solid in your faith. Blessings come to you and and those who persevere through the times ahead, which the book of Revelation described. That's where the blessings come from. Background. Written around 90 AD, as Emperor Domitian, his reign lasted from 81 to 96 AD, and he banished John to Patmos. This is a, an interesting setting. I'm about, I will read about how he got banished in a moment, but Emperor Domitian was quite a tyrant in his day. He was the first emperor to title himself as God the Lord. The Lord of the earth, he titled himself. He, t- another title was Our Lord and God. He titled himself the Invincible Glory. He called himself Holy, and he even said, Thou art alone, like as in he's the only God. They found ancient coins of Domitian and his reign, and one coin has him enthroned with the title Father of the Gods. If you think about it, even the backdrop behind where John was writing the book of Revelation, he had a tyrant who sent him to Patmos, who was, in a sense, an antichrist, who claimed to be God. So, in a sense, nearly reflecting, or it's a picture, I could say, of the end when antichrist rises and exalts himself as God and the followers of Christ will be heavily persecuted. And at that time, followers of Christ were heavily persecuted. That's why most of them thought, this must be the end. This is everything Jesus said would be taking place. And that's where Paul came in in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 2 to 3. And he corrects him. He says, don't let anyone deceive you. It's not going to happen until the Antichrist appears. But they're probably thinking in their mind, hang on, but Emperor Domitian is the Antichrist. He's announcing himself to be God. So what a setting. And then God says to John, no, I'm going to show you the real Antichrist, I'm going to show you what's really going to take place. And then he could come out of that vision and go, okay, this isn't those days. So that was, was, um, you know, the setting in which he he was living at that time. Some claim that the book was written pre the destruction of the temple in 70 AD by Titus uh, due to its references to a standing temple in Jerusalem. However, this passage must be regarded as completely predictive of a future temple because, because the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, they, they try to tell you, and this is the preterist view, that the whole book of Revelation was fulfilled prior to that time or uh, at that time. But we know with life having gone on 2,000 years since then, that, that can't be so. There's, and now we have word that they're preparing to build a temple. And anyone who's been studying into that a little bit lately, we've seen a video that they prepared to build a temple right next to the Dome on the Rock, right there. So that's an interesting take 
on, on, hist- on prophecy. Uh, it was written during a time of tumultuous social and civil unrest. Christians were being hunted, killed, and were seemingly going through great tribulations at the hands of the Roman Empire, and many thought that they were living in the last days. They really did. And as I, as I explained before, there's a number of Christian groups that will try to tell you that John the Apostle did not write the book of Revelation. And just to quickly clear that up, um, without going too far into it, because I don't think anyone here has a problem with it, but you will hear that argument. You will get, hear people say it was, you know, a, a different John. Um, it clearly says that his servant John in, in verse 1, 1, right at the end of verse 1, in, then you go down a bit further in 4, and it says John to the seven churches and the prophets of Asia. Go further, and it says I, John. But then they say, well, it's not that John. To me, it's very clear that the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. However, there are schools of thought out there that teach that John, the John spoken of is John Mark, mentioned in, in the book of Acts, who was the assistant accompanying Paul and Barnabas. Do you remember reading about a John Mark in the Bible, in the book of Acts? Yep. Personally, I don't think it is because John, the Apostle John, was one of the inner three. He was one of the closest to Jesus in, out of the 12 disciples. Personally, if, if I was Jesus, who am I going to get? John Mark, a new convert that came about later, or one of my actual apostles? And one of the inner three, someone really close who, who's actually had his, rested his head upon his chest and listened to his heartbeat. That John, the one that, the John that was given to his mother as a son. Do you know what I mean? So that's a pretty, that's the sort of John that if I was Jesus, I would entrust to that John. There's also John the Elder, which is, I looked up John the Elder, because some people teach that. He's John the, or he's also known as John the Presbyter. He's an obscure figure of the early church who is either distinguished from or identified with the Apostle John, but he appears in fragments from the church father's papaya of Hierapolis as one of the author's sources. So look, I don't know why personally people come and try to make up these stories. And then there's the John the Baptist. <laughs> How could it be John the Baptist? Anyway, John the, ba- John the Baptist makes no sense as he was beheaded <laughs> before Jesus went to the cross. However, those who propose this view say that there was a school of John. Oh, and there's a school of John. But uh, that's just sheer fabrication, isn't it? That's just ridiculous. Anyway, however, many of the early church fathers talked about this book being written by the Apostle John. So we'll clear this up once and for all. Irenaeus, the second century apologist who was a disciple of Polycarp, and Polycarp, as a young believer, sat at the feet of the Apostle John. Uh, Irenaeus testifies to the fact that the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation, as done Justin Martyr in his dialogue with Trypho, uh, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Cyprian, and Hippolytus. They all said that John, the apostle, wrote the book of Revelation. Now, there, were, there are some other um, anti-Nicene fathers also that will say the opposite, but that, I think, was where the debate was coming from even back then. But um, who's convinced it's the apostle John? Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced. Anyway, in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, and if I brought my Fox's Book of Martyrs along, we're going to read about John in page 10. So turn to page 10 in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Should be required reading. It should be with your Bible. (laughs) Stick it on the back or something. Uh, The Apostle John 
brother of James, is credited with, credited with founding the seven churches of Revelation, of Revelation. I never knew that. Even though I've read that, it didn't quite click. That he founded, so tradition tells us, that he founded the churches Smyrna, Pergamos, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Thyatira, and Ephesus. Which of the seven churches that Jesus speaks to, uh, writes seven letters to? I find that interesting. And so wouldn't that make sense? If he did found those seven churches, that he would be the one that he was talking to in the book of Revelation. It was from Ephesus, it is said, that, that uh, the Apostle John was arrested and sent to Rome, where he was cast in a large vessel filled with boiling oil that did not harm him. He was placed in a large vessel of boiling oil. So obviously in John's mind, he's praying to God, your will be done, but I'm prepared to die right now. So he was martyred, but came back to life, of course, because the oil didn't hurt him. Very much like a Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego situation there. As a result... He was released and banished by the Emperor Domitian. Now, you imagine the Emperor Domitian, God of gods, you know, and he sees a man not get destroyed by boiling oil. It freaked him out that much that rather than say to a, a soldier, go and cut that guy's head off, let's see if he can live past that one, he just said, get rid of him. He's freaked me out. Send him to Patmos where there's, there's nothing. It's just a rock. Well, we've been to Patmos. There was more than just a rock there, wasn't it? A few trees. But what sort of trees, John? Gum trees. Aussie gum trees. I'm like, get out of here. Aussie gum trees. And you walk around. Like, we're walking through this area. I felt like I was in Belair. I'm going, this, this terrain, because I'm a, I'm a, oh, I used to be a runner. I used to run through the Adelaide Hills all the time, three, four times a week. And it was like I was walking we were walking through Adelaide Bush. I'm going, this is so homely, it's cr crazy, you know. Anyway, so, yeah, there was a few gum trees there. When, I, don't, I think they were put up there later. Yeah, it's, the Greeks like Australia, so when they go home, they take our gum tree, gum tree seeds and spread them everywhere. When... A, a university class studied the book of Revelation, and this, without, this is without the Spirit of God. The professor concluded John must have been on LSD. That was his conclusion. Because it is so randomly out there that, you know, because they don't have the Spirit of God, they can't see it because they don't know how to read the book of Revelation by reflecting on everything else in the Bible at the same time. He must be on LSD to write something that crazy. And even... Um, uh, Martin Luther was, was so anti the book of Revelation, he said it shouldn't be in the Bible, shouldn't be in part of the canon, because who could understand it? So even the you know, great reformer, Martin Luther, didn't, didn't believe that the book of Revelation deserved to be there. So as a result of him being in boiling oil and that oil didn't harm him, he was released and banished by the Emperor Domitian to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation after being released from Patmos, he returned to Ephesus where he died about A.D. 98 and only, uh, the only apostle to escape a violent death. So John the Beloved is the son of thunder. What a name, son of thunder. Whoa. Disciple of John the Baptist. Let's have a look at that. John 1.35. 
Scholars with good reason believe that the other disciple mentioned in John 1, 35-42 is John. We find that John never mentions himself by name in his gospel. Whenever John wants to indicate himself, he simply uses terms such as another disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. We are given no reason for why he does this, but most think it was just because of John's modesty, that he would never refer to himself by name in his own gospel. And this is one of those scriptures, uh, John 1 verse 35. And it says, The next day John was there again, that's John the Baptist, with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, who had followed Jesus. Uh, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother and so on. Now, when he said Andrew, Simon Peter was one of the two, he didn't say who the other one was. Now, if he was referencing Peter, he would have said Peter or Philip or someone else, but he didn't reference anyone else. So that's why we assume the other one was him. And that therefore, John, the Apostle John, was firstly a disciple of John the Baptist. So before he even met Jesus, he was with John the Baptist, the preparer of the way. And John the Baptist was revealing to John, he would have explained to him some deep visions that he had out in the desert when he was preparing for this time to be John the Baptist. You know, he would have heard all these stories about this coming Messiah and fulfill, fulfilling all the Old Testament. And so John, as a young, because they reckon John was one of the youngest disciples of Jesus. So he would have been a very young boy sitting at the feet of John the Baptist throughout his, all his ministry. And I would dare say, if that was the case and he was with John the Baptist, they were baptizing in the Jordan, he would have, been, he would have seen Jesus baptized. He would have seen the dove coming down and lighting on him. You know, he would have seen that because he would have been there. He was a disciple. Disciples were with their teachers full time. They didn't sort of, you know, come once a week for a couple of hours. <laughs> they were full time with their teacher. Amen? So you think about it. That, that's just the early days of John, the apostle, was being with John the Baptist, that would have been awesome. Who would love to be at a church where John the Baptist is preaching? Right? If you heard John the Baptist is preaching somewhere, you'd go there, wouldn't you? Like the actual John the Baptist. Like when we get to heaven and we, we, we've got plenty of time to do a lot of things, they're going to say, hey, you know, John the Baptist is preaching down at that big auditorium and you just see flocks of people running like, John the Baptist is preaching. You know, I'd be there. And then Paul's preaching down the road at three o'clock. <laughs> You know, you'd go and hear him. And then Enoch, who wants to go and sit at the feet of Enoch? <laughs> then he becomes one of the 12 in Luke 6, 12 to 16. Look, I don't need to read that because we know he's one of the 12. It's there for anyone who's skeptical of that. He also becomes one of the inner three. All right, so he gets, not only has he got the honor of being the only 12 appointed apostle disciples of Jesus in the universe, he then gets appointed to be one of the inner three. And how we determine that is the, these really big events that took place. 
the transfiguration, Jesus in, you know, his nature, his glorious nature being revealed before him. He's there looking at it. He sees it. He hears Peter say the most foolish thing you can say in that, in that setting. Do you know what I mean? Should we get some shelters and cover you up? Like, get out of here. I just want to see him. Shh, Peter. I want to see Jesus, Jesus in glory. And, and not only that, you see Elijah and Moses. So John saw that. And then he also was with Christ in Gethsemane. Right? He's one of the inner three that saw Jesus sweating blood. Maybe he was sleeping at the time, I'm not sure, but he was there. He would have seen Jesus. Jesus would have come up to him and said, you know, get up, get up. And he would have looked at him and his face would have blood coming out of his face because he sweated drops of blood. He would have seen that. And then he would have seen the, the Lord in turmoil. Like if, He's never seen the Lord in this sort of turmoil. He's been with him all these years. And now Jesus is stressing. God, what's going on? My Lord and my God, Jesus. And look at him. So he saw Jesus at his worst. Absolute travail. And he's probably the only apostle, disciple at the foot of the cross. Jesus on the cross. And where was John? He was there. He was there at the foot of the cross with the Marys. The women were there. The rest of them, don't know where they were. They all fled like, you know, scared lambs. But John still, because he had so much of the revelation of Jesus Christ up to that time, he's seen Jesus right from the earliest point in his ministry. He saw him baptized. He saw him sweating blood. He heard all about Jesus beforehand from John the Baptist, and there he is at the foot of the cross, seeing his Lord dying. They reckon he even was present during the court cases, the only disciple. Who would you entrust with the book of Revelation? A man like that? He's the closest. He's the one that leaned back and put his head on Jesus' chest. The one that Jesus loved the most. Man, I tell you what, if there's a choice of who you're going to go and hear speak in heaven, go to John. Go and listen to John the Apostle speak. He becomes the son of Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus. I don't have to read that scripture. You know that scripture. Um, woman, this is your son. And John, this is your mother. So what would have happened then? He, now he's, he takes her into his home. And now he's hearing stories about what a mother could tell you about a baby Jesus. Do you know when he first walked He's talked as well, you know, just crazy things like that. You know, just little things, you know. Oh, he, he was running one day and he fell over and he cut his knee. And I ran up and, you know, he's just telling him strange little mother stories that probably just put the biggest smile on John's face because now he's hearing intimate details about the earliest part of Jesus' earthly life. Wow. You know, these are things that we don't know about because they're not written in here. But John heard them all. John is in, outside of, Mary was the most blessed woman on the face of the earth. John was the most blessed man on the face of the earth. So that, that, that's incredible, to, to live with Mary, 
to hear those things. He receives a revelation of Jesus in eternity past. If, you, if we go to John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning, he had this revelation. To be able to write that, you must have a revelation of that, the apocalypsis of the eternity, the eternal nature of Jesus in eternity past. So now he gets his genealogy of who Jesus really is. You know, in the other Gospels, we get genealogies of how they're related to Abraham and related to King David. Now we're getting the real genealogy. He's right back at the beginning before anything else was, he was. So he gets that revelation. And then Jesus insinuates that John would not die. Let's just go there. John twenty-one twenty. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved... What a, what a title. Wouldn't you love to be known as the disciple Jesus loved? Like he loves us all. Amen? He loves us all. But it's, you know, it's like the title, Jesus is the Son of God, the actual Son of God. But then we are all sons of God, little s. But Jesus is the Son of God, big s, because he is God. We are all loved by Jesus, but then there's one disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's John. Makes you a bit jealous, doesn't it? I want to be that one. I want to be that disciple. So Peter turned and saw that disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper. So he's telling it, it's me, telling us that, that it's, it's him. And it said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Why do you think Peter said that? Because he was jealous of John. <laughs> what about him? You know, I've just denied you three times. I've just been reinstated. What about this guy? <laughs> I'd be a bit like that. Jesus loved me more than John. <laughs> Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Gee, that would hurt. Peter would say, well, why don't you want me to remain alive? Why do you only want him to remain alive until I return? So there's a lot to that. And what he means by remain alive until he returns. And I've always taught, well, as I said earlier, and in, that it went in, during the uh, revelation, he gets to see Jesus returning. And he was alive to see it in the revelation. And then he could rest after that and sleep in Christ or die. John sees Jesus in eternity, future, in glory, and sees him return. And this is Revelation 1, 12 to 18. I won't read the whole thing, but let's just quickly go there. So now he's had a glimpse of Jesus in eternity past. He's, he's been, lived with Mary, and he got to see Jesus, uh, hear about stories of Jesus as a baby. He spent time with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist told him all about how this man is going to fulfill the Old Testament. And, and, and he's the one that we should be looking for. He then became probably one of the earliest disciples of Jesus. He became appointed an apostle, uh, one of the 12. He then became one of the inner three. Then he became probably the closest one, probably the inner one to Jesus. He then lives on to see the revelation, and he gets to see Jesus in glory. And he gets to see him return. But we'll just look at the one scripture here, Revelation 1, 12 to 18. And it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. That's a 
reference to the, the, how Daniel would refer to God uh, or the God-man. He called him a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His hair was like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet uh, as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, and this is where we know he's God. He says, I am the first. So his first words out of his mouth was, I am the first and the last I am the living one, meaning can't keep this guy dead. He lives for eternity. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever and hold the keys of death and Hades. So the announcement is, I'm God. Right? That's the glorious announcement. These people that deny Jesus as being God, like, come on, read your Bibles. Take to heart what is written in them. Look into the depth of the words. You only need to hear, all I need to hear to know Jesus is God is him say, I am the first and the last. Okay, you're God. End. I don't need to see another scripture now. That's it. You're God. Because you can't call yourself, imagine if a mere creation came and said, I'm the first and the last. You'd say, who do you think you are to call yourself the first and the last? You're going to be dead and you'll be dead. And you got born and that's it. That's your short lifespan. How can you call yourself the first and the last? Only God can call himself that. He must be God. Or else that would be blasphemy. Amen? So Jehovah Witnesses, you're, you are telling me and Christadelphians and all these other Christians out there that debate me online and tell me that Jesus isn't God, you're telling me that Jesus blasphemed to say I'm the first and the last. That's what they're telling us. If, if they don't believe that Jesus is God, they're declaring Jesus a blasphemer to declare himself to be the first and the last. There's a good argument point for you guys. That was the official reason he was, he was uh, crucified, was this man claimed to be God, or at least the Son of God. And the term Son of God references of the same kind. You know, my son, John, is Human, like me. God's son is God like him. You know, it's pretty clear to us, isn't it? The revelation of Jesus Christ. The book is titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The blessing comes upon those who, of us who read and heed this clear revelation of, of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So in this book, we get a picture of Jesus in glory as the God-man glorified by the Father, we see Jesus returning with the angels of heaven. We've rev we have revealed to us pertinent information to do with the judgment, to do with hell, to do with heaven, to do with the Antichrist and the tribulation, the thousand years of peace and the first coming of God the Father which takes place after the thousand years of peace. You know, the creation waited in eager expectation for the first coming of Jesus. We have been waiting with eager expectation for the second coming of Jesus. You know, once the second coming come, has happened, then guess what? We wait eagerly for the first coming of God the Father. And man, to be able to stand in the presence of God the Father, we must have that thousand years of peace to transform us, even in our imperishable bodies, to be able to cope with the coming of the Father.
It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time. Just make sure you're there. The book of Revelation of Jesus Christ has helped us to grasp that Jesus is more than just a man, but that God the Father has exalted him and given him a name above every name, and that he is God, for all the attributes of God are ascribed to him. If someone has the attributes of God ascribed to him, does that make him God? Yeah, absolutely. If someone claims to have those attributes, like Emperor Domitian, does that make him God? No, you know what they do with guys like Emperor Domitian today? Usually they put them in a, in a loony bin somewhere, or they make him the head of the world. <laughs> All right, so let's go. Revelation. There's only two places for the Antichrist, to lead the world or the loony bin. <laughs> All right, 117, let's go. All right, 117. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and this is what I read before, and he says, I am, do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last. Skip down a bit. I am the living one, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Like, you know, who holds the keys of death and Hades? Just a mere creation? Just a really good angel? Michael? Archangel Michael? No. God. God, Jesus. Yeah, amen. Revelation 19, 13, and it, it says, He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so there it is again. Let's go to John 1, 1 to 3, and I just, read, I just quoted that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, not the beginning of creation, in the beginning of eternity. Through him, through who? Through the Word, through Jesus, through God, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So it's Jesus. Let's go to Revelation 19, 16. And on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings. Okay, so there's no king as great as this king. And Lord of Lords, Kyrios of Kyrios. Kyrios is the Greek word for Lord. And in this respect, the Lord of all lords. So whoever's announced themselves to be Lord, he's greater than all of those lords. He is the Lord above all those lords. Who's that? Yeah, God. That's God. That's Jesus. Revelation 21, 5 to 7. He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. Is that the right one? Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. Then he said, write this down, and for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to write these things down. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to him who is thirsty, I'll give a drink without cost from the springs of water of life. So I am the Alpha and the Omega at the beginning of the end. He calls himself the first and the last. These are all God attributes that are ascribed to Jesus. Because God will also call himself the first and the last, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. Okay. And I think I'll finish on that screen. Oh, no, I won't. I'm going to read Joe Schimmel's quote. Who wants to hear Joe Schimmel's quote? Joe Schimmel said, This book, more than any other book, ties the whole Bible together and alludes to many Old Testament books. So it opens up the whole Bible for us. We will study from Genesis through to Revelation as we go through this study. In fact, nearly 300 verses of the 404 verses in the book of Revelation refer to or allude back to the Old Testament. 46 references 
to Isaiah, 31 references to Daniel, 29 to Ezekiel, 21 to Psalms, references all the way back to Genesis. So that, that's amazing. 300 verses of the, of the book of Revelation allude back to the Old Testament. That's nearly the whole book, at least three quarters of the whole book. That's powerful stuff, isn't it? All right. And there is another screen, but I'm not going to do it. So let's pray. Actually, there might be something I've got. No, that's it. All right, thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we just uh, thank you for this sermon today. I, I hope that it's been a blessing to everyone here. And I pray that it's also set the scene for what we're, we're going to be studying. And Lord, I know that as we go through this book, we're going to, it's going to be like a roller coaster ride um, as we look into uh, in depth what the book of Revelation uh, is all about and um, how it can be applied into this day and age and how it's going to strengthen us at this time and help us through these, these days that, are, that lay ahead of us. Lord, I pray for the wisdom to continue to preach this. I thank you that I have a great resource in what Joe Schimmel's uh, done, um, and I'm four years behind. We're, as a church, we're four years behind them now, um, but that's, that's a good thing. And... Um, we're going to be able to just grow as a church as we just bounce all over the Bible and, uh, and get deeper and deeper insight into uh, your word. I pray your spirit will be here and guiding us and blessing every single thing that takes place during this series, uh, that every word that is preached will have a real positive impact on us and, and, um, and really give us strong direction uh, in our Christian lives. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that it will strengthen our faith and it will give us a, a, a clarity of vision and a clarity of purpose um, and help us to be transformed into the people you created us to be, that we'll become true uh, priests of God Most High, uh, saints of God, people belonging to God, and that we'll be uh, the kind of people that you'll be pleased with and blessed by having in your church. So I pray your church will grow as a result of this study and, um, and that you'll be with us all the way. Amen. And Lord, just bless us as a church, bless our fellowship time, and bless everything that takes place uh, um, in our week. Look over us, protect us, cover us with your precious blood, and put your angels around us at all times and guide us. listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine and end times. Feel free to check them out.